0: Uh, today the passage is in the book of Daniel chapter three verses one to eighteen. It is also in the back of the bulletin that you have. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, sixty cubit feet sorry sixty cubit high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial of, uh, officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, cither lyre, harp, pipe, and all kind of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, cedar, lyre, harp, and all kind of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down, and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued and decreed that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, scissor, lyre, have pipes, and all kind of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and, then, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have sent over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Sadrach, Mesach, and Ab- Abinigo, who paid no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God that uh, you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Sadrach, Mesach, and Abenigo. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, said, um, Is this true, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abenigo?" That you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, then, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, cither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kind of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Sadrach, message and abenigo replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the god we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up." This is the word of God.
1: Well, thank you very much for your warm welcome this weekend. It's been uh, lovely to spend some time with you yesterday and also this morning, and have the uh, opportunity to uh, speak with a number of you, and of course, I'll I'll be around uh, afterwards uh, as well, and it would be really good um, to get to know a few more of you um, then. So thank you very, very much for your uh, warm hospitality this weekend, and uh, we really do uh, enjoy our partnership with you uh, here at uh, Shatin Anglican. So then, some of you may have seen the movie Dunkirk that came out a couple of years ago. This is the movie of the true story of the evacuation of thousands of British Commonwealth and European soldiers from the northern shores of Europe uh, at the beginning of the Second World War. And that movie in its uh, portrayal of that was very, very realistic. But one thing that it actually missed out was the radio message that started off that whole operation. So what happened was that the uh, Nazi armies were closing in and a British naval officer on the beaches uh, radioed a message back to London and his message contained only three words and they were the words but if not, but if not, now I'm not sure historically whether that code had been prearranged or not, but even if it hadn't been pre-arranged, it is likely that the uh, story that those three words came from was so well known in England at the uh, at time that it wouldn't have been needed to have been prearranged. It actually comes from Daniel chapter three and verse 18 in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And he was saying two things by those words. He was saying, "We need rescued immediately." But if not, then we are willing to stand and even die uh, if that is necessary. There's a message of great resolution and a message of great bravery. You can see the original words in verse 17 to 18 of our passage, where these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, and this is a slightly more literal translation than the one that uh, we have where we are, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And we'll see later on that uh, these words have some great application for us as well. So here in in the book of Daniel, we're at the time of the exile, the Babylonian exile. It's around 600 BC, and God's people are in Babylon. And uh, we've been following the progress over this weekend of uh, a small group of Hebrew young men. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they seek to remain faithful to God in this new pagan world and pagan context that they find themselves in. Uh, We've been looking at the question of where is God in a changing world and and a changing world is certainly something that Daniel and his three friends had lots of uh, experience of. Their world was constantly changing. Empires were rising and and, uh, falling. Uh, Things around them were constantly altering as they do for us. Yet they were able to remain faithful in the circumstances that they were placed in uh, and with God's help and of course uh, we can too. So then, we're now going to look at this story under three headings, just as we walk through this as well-known story, very simply. And the first of them I've called, A Powerful Idol. So we can see this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar sets up uh, in verse 1 and 2 of the passage. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So then let's look at some of the features of this uh, image and then uh, draw out some applications uh, for ourselves in our context as well. So first of all, we see the appearance of this image. This image we're told is about 90 feet high, uh, that's roughly the same height as the big uh, over on Lanto Island and it was made of gold and it was placed on a plane so that uh, everybody could see it easily uh, from miles around probably the Sun uh, reflecting off the, the gold uh, would have uh, made it look pretty spectacular and then anyone who was anyone in the Empire was invited to come to a great feast of dedication for it Uh, We don't know if this image was of King Nebuchadnezzar himself or whether it was of one of his gods, but either way there was no doubt who was responsible for it and who was behind it. Then we also see something of the image's purpose here. So in verse 4, a herald loudly proclaims nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And so this makes clear that one purpose of this image was basically worship. Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to worship this image that he had established. You must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I think another purpose for this image was probably unity. The Babylonian Empire was very diverse, and so what better way to try and unite everyone than to have them all come and worship a giant image of the emperor. And of course, this is something that totalitarian regimes have been doing uh, throughout history uh, in order to try and unite their empires. And then finally, we also see its pressure. There must have been enormous pressure to uh, worship this idol. Uh, It had been commanded by the king, uh, after all. Uh, Everybody who was anyone in the empire was doing it all the governmental uh, advisors and uh, magistrates and the cultural leaders and elite. Must have been a great atmosphere, too, with all this music playing. Maybe there was an emotional uh, aspect to this that uh, really put uh, pressure on people to worship it. Um, Incidentally, I think that the repetition of all these musical instruments that you probably noticed as that reading was read and the long list of sort of official titles and leaders names is all meant to make this uh, occasion sound a little bit ridiculous. I think the author is saying this is really just a lot of fuss and noise about an empty idol. How foolish! Imagine going to all that trouble for something that is not God. But of course, for those who were there, this was a really serious business. Verse 6 reminds us, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And so we have this image over here, and we have the fiery furnace over there. What would you choose? What would you have done um, if you were there on the plain of Dura? As one commentator states, the praise band plays and the crowd gets its backsides in the air and its noses in the sand and enjoys job security. They felt that they had no choice. They had to do it. There's a tremendous invisible coercion that comes from being among a whole mob of flattened worshippers. That's so true, isn't it? There's a tremendous invisible coercion that comes from being among a whole mob of flattened worshippers. And I think that's exactly right, and it's exactly the same in our world as well. Idols exert a tremendous pressure on us to bow down to them and conform to them or face the consequences as a result. Now, of course, we could spend some of our time this morning talking about some of the idols that we face and that we have here in Hong Kong. Idols like wealth, or educational success, or comfort and ease and pleasure and we would be right, those things are idols, and they do exert a tremendous pressure on us to conform. However, I think the strongest line of application here is probably to those times when the state issues decrees that uh, can lead Christians into direct conflict with them. And traditionally, Christians have identified two occasions when they ought to be disobedient to the state. One is where the state commands what God forbids, And the other is where the state forbids what God commands. So two occasions where Christians ought not to be obedient to the state. One is where the state commands what God forbids. The other is where the state forbids what God commands. And on those occasions, God's Word says that Christians have no option but to obey God rather than men. And here, of course, we have an example of where the state commands something that God has forbidden. There's many totalitarian regimes that demand the absolute loyalty of their people. They demand the worship of their people in a way that Christians just cannot give because of their loyalty to Christ. Right now, there are Christians in labor camps, for instance, in North Korea, for refusing to give worship to the supreme leader in exactly the same way that King Nebuchadnezzar was demanding here. In other countries around the world. It's not uncommon for uh, Christians to be stuck in menial roles. Uh, A country like Pakistan would be a great example of that. Or for their children to be denied educational opportunities that are uh, equal with everybody else. Or for Christians to be actively discriminated against um, because they refuse to kowtow to the regime here in Hong Kong and no not in many of the countries uh, which are represented here this morning. And we've been blessed with many years of religious freedom and that's a wonderful thing and that's something that we need to give thanks to God for. But how would we respond um, if we came to a place where we were being asked to give absolute loyalty to a leader or to an ideology rather than to Christ? What would we do then? Uh, here in Hong Kong maybe too there's perhaps uh, increasing numbers of uh, company policies that uh, ask Christians to promote things in the workplace that go directly against uh, what we believe from God's Word the Bible can be all sorts of consequences to that Uh, of course we're not likely to be cast into a literal fiery furnace but we can easily be thrown into the fiery furnace of everybody else's opinion or maybe losing our jobs now of course uh, That kind of thing is not quite in the same league as uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego here. But uh, we can begin to sort of see it in some small measure. Now in all of those instances of course it's not always entirely clear how we are to respond as God's people. But so what would we do if we were there on the Plain of Dura? Would we bow down or would we stand firm? Well, that moves us on to the next thing in our story, uh, which is a steadfast faith. And uh, we see this in verse 8 to verse 18. So what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Well, when the music started, they stayed right where they were standing. They did not bow down. Everyone else put their noses in, in the sand and their backsides in the air, but yet they remained standing in a minority of three. Uh, obvious to everyone. I wonder if I had been there, whether I would have been tempted to have tried to justify bowing down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Uh, How would I have done that? Well, it's really important that I hold on to my job for the sake of the other exiles. They need me in uh, this position of influence. Or, you know, I really don't want to appear ungrateful for all the blessings that King Nebuchadnezzar has given me. Uh, I need to be a good witness to King Nebuchadnezzar, and so maybe I ought to just bow down to his image uh, after all. Or, I just want to make clear that I'm only bowing down in my official capacity as a government employee. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? This is not something I actually mean in my heart. I'm only sort of bowing down outwardly. Uh, I'm just doing it uh, because it's in my contract. But uh, they didn't say any of those things or make any of those excuses. Uh, So why did uh, they refuse to bow down to the king's image? But why did they do this? Um, Why refuse to obey the king? Well, uh, I think we can get some hints to the answer in verse 12. So this group of disgruntled court officials come to, to, to see the king, and they say to him, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, Your Majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So, this makes clear that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold. Uh, that uh, may uh, switch on some light bulbs in some of your heads, those two uh, expressions, because, of course, this is a reference to the first two of the ten commandments. So the first of the ten commandments, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the next commandment, uh, Exodus 20 verse 4 and 5, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them nor worship them. And so they will neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And so the reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down is not because they're just trying to be really awkward, but rather because of what God had clearly said in his word. The principle is that we must obey God rather than men. And so the king calls them in. He asks them if it's really true that they will not worship his image. And then we see their great confession of faith in verse 16 to 18. This is the heart of the passage, really. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So we see their great faith. their faith, if we break this down, is really in two things. First of all, they have great faith in God's power. They are absolutely convinced that God is able to rescue them. And then they also have faith here in God's sovereignty. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or the image you have set up. They believe that God is able to save them. But they acknowledge that God may choose not to on this particular occasion. If he rescues them, great. If he does not rescue them, then it's also fine. They will continue to be faithful to him and they will not obey the king. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So this is a great example for us, I think, of steadfast faith. I think we could uh, summarize their attitude as do the right thing. And leave the consequences with God. Do the right thing and then leave the consequences with God. We need to obey God no matter what happens and then leave the consequences with Him. So, one person has said, Our duty is to do what is right. That is it. There is nothing more. If doing right means we are ruined, then that is God's affair. Consequences are in His hands, but duty is in our hands. Our job in life is to do what pleases him, whatever the cost, and whatever the outcome. Our job in life is to do what pleases him, whatever the cost, and whatever the outcome. Uh, One of the other movies that I watched last year was Terence Malick's A Hidden Life. and This is a film that's based on the true story of an Austrian peasant, uh, also during World War II. And uh, this Austrian peasant refused to take an oath of loyalty to the Nazi party in Germany. And it's a really moving film. And one of the things that really stood out for me was just the immense pressure that this person was under to conform. Virtually everybody around him, including members of his own family and even the local priests were telling him to declare his loyalty to Adolf Hitler. But yet he refused and he just wouldn't give in, no matter what. That's kind of uh, exactly the same uh, determination that we see here. We're to do the right thing regardless of the consequences, even if the consequences are, as were the case for him, that uh, he ended up being charged with treason. So what about us? Will we do the right thing regardless of the consequences? You know, if we are Christians, we are going to stand out from the world uh, because of our loyalty to Christ. Um, are we ready f- for that? Are we willing to stand out for Christian beliefs and practices uh, no matter what the cost? Will I obey God with my sexuality no matter what the outcome of that will be? Will I fill in my tax forms honestly even if I end up poorer than everybody else? Will I be committed to church every week even although there are so many competing priorities? Will I forgive my enemies, even if everyone around me in my workplace is advising me to take revenge? Will I remain loyal to God, even if I'm the only Christian in my family? Well, surely those are only a few of the areas where God might be calling us, might be calling you to be faithful right now. Do the right thing now and leave the consequences in God's hands. Then, what were the results of all this? and this uh, moves us on to lastly what I've called an amazing rescue. So this brings us to the verses that weren't read for us. So if you look at it uh, you can see that in verse uh, 19 the king begins to see red. Uh, He's furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and he now commands that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. In verse 20 he commands his soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and then in verse 21 they're cast into the fiery furnace. In verse 22, we read that the flames are so hot that they kill the men who have uh, been throwing them in, thereby choosing, that it really doesn't work out well for you if you serve a megalomaniac dictator. Um, Most likely this furnace was some kind of kiln. Uh, Maybe it had been used for making bricks, maybe it had been used for smelting the gold uh, for this uh, image. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have basically been put in the top, so they would have basically fallen down into the flames, but yet the king would have still been able to have seen what was going on in the furnace uh, through the entrance to the kiln. The king was probably expecting a few brief screams and then silence. However, if we look at it, this amazing dialogue then takes place so verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Then you read verse 26, and Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers all crowded round them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So there's this great miracle of rescue that had taken place. Uh, We're not quite sure who the fourth person in the fire was. People have often speculated, you know, was this a sort of pre-incarnation appearance of Christ? Uh, In verse 28, uh, Nebuchadnezzar seems to think that it was maybe an angel of the Lord. Uh, But the reality is we don't really know. Uh, What we do know for sure is that God was with his people uh, in their suffering for him. There's no guarantee, of course, that we will be rescued when we take a stand for God. This passage is descriptive of what happened to these uh, young men, not prescriptive for us. But yet it is a guarantee that God will be with us in the midst of the flames and what we are going through uh, like he was here. And that's a great comfort for us. As one person has uh, summarized well, God gives us no guarantees about rescuing us from suffering. What he does give us our guarantees about where he will be when we do suffer. I really like that. God gives us no guarantees about rescuing us from suffering. What he does give us are guarantees about where he will be when we do suffer. He will be with us. When God's people suffer for God's purposes and God's glory, God will never leave them alone. Um, I think it's possible that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have known the wonderful promise from uh, Isaiah 43 in verses 2 and 3 that was written uh, just before the exile where God promises his people when you pass through the waters I will be with you and when you pass through the rivers they will not sweep over you when you walk through the fire you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel your Savior and then when we come to the new Testament, we see even more clearly that Jesus is with us by his Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, as Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we obey God, we can be sure that Jesus is with us. And then we can have even greater confidence than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because we know for sure that Jesus will ultimately rescue us on the last day. This is really the great news of the Christian gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God created us. He created us to know him, to love him, and to live life in relationship with him. Yet, of course, we've all fallen short of that and have rebelled against him in many ways. If you like, we've all put our backsides in the air and our noses in the sand, so far as idols are concerned. And so we rightly stand under God's wrath and just condemnation. Yet the great news of the Gospel is that God is gracious and merciful. Even in anger, God remembers mercy. He sent Jesus Christ into our world as one of us. He lived a perfect life where he was always faithful to his Father in Heaven and never once worshipped idols. And he went to the cross for us, taking all of our sin and idolatry, offering us the free gift of forgiveness from God in its place, uh, if we'll place uh, our faith and trust in him. And so this passage really reveals to us God as the ultimate rescuer. He may choose to rescue us from the fiery furnace or not, but we know for sure that we can be confident in his ultimate rescue uh, from those things that are ultimately count, like sin and death and hell. And so, if you don't know him yet as your rescuer, let me urge you uh, that you should seek him this morning. For those of us who are Christians already, this passage should greatly increase our faith in God. Uh, we can know that God is w- with us through the trials that we're experiencing in life, and that one day he will ultimately rescue us and take us home to be with himself. And that ought to put steel in our backbones if we're God's people this morning. And so, we have a powerful idol. We have a steadfast faith, and we have an amazing rescue, and that's wonderful news. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks this morning for this wonderful example of these three young men who stood so faithfully for you. Father, in a world where we know that there are so many pressures to to compromise, maybe uh, even over this coming week, we pray that you might help us to stand firm like they did. Help us to have a strong faith in you. Help us to know that you are always with us. And help us to be confident of uh, our ultimate rescue through Christ. And uh, we, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.